Hey coaches, and welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. For all the up-to-date information on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association, you can visit our website at www.or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Secretary and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Craig Rothenberger, Boys Basketball Coach at Junction City High School. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing as well as anybody, I guess, at this time of the year with all what's going on. But, uh, you know, can't complain. I'm healthy, my family's healthy, and and uh, hopefully everybody out there is. Yeah, that's great to hear, Coach, and, and thanks for taking the time to, to be with us today. Uh, Coach, I'd like to start by, by having you kind of give our listeners a little bit of background on uh, your basketball journey, your coaching journey, uh, how it started, where you've been, and uh, how you ended up at Junction City High School. Uh, sure. Well, I guess if, if you're going to really go back to where it all started, it started that I played high school basketball at Nestucca High School for Coach Barry Adams, and uh, he had an awful lot to do with with moving me to make the decision to go this direction. I actually came out of high school and was in a pre-dentistry program for a year and a half, and and then decided I, I really wanted to go into education, and and uh, I began to connect with the coach and uh, moved in that direction. And actually, student taught at Lebanon High School uh, and stayed with with uh, Barry and his wife Sandy and and uh we uh I, I learned an awful lot in a hurry. Uh, you know, playing is one thing but working with a with a coach like Coach Adams running a program and I learned a lot about what a program should look like and got me even more excited and I was fortunate enough to come right before I finished student teaching I got hired at uh Tillamook Catholic High School for the next year to coach uh, teach science and coach football and basketball there. So that's where I spent my first four years was coaching uh, football and basketball and teaching at Tillamook Catholic High School, which was a great introduction because I did everything. I I washed the uniforms. I lined the fields. I, I We didn't have a gym, so we practiced in various places and uh, drove the 1953 Rio bus. And uh, I really got indoctrinated into what it means to be a high school teacher and coach uh, in a hurry, but I think that was really good for me uh, because I I learned a great deal in a hurry about all the little things that you have to do to, to be successful. And I was fortunate there to have some pretty pretty good athletes, and we had some level of success. I then actually moved on to Nestucca, my alma mater, and I was hired there to teach uh, and coach football and assistant basketball. I was a head football assistant basketball. I did that for two years, and then I did both football and basketball head for two more years. And then my last two years there, I uh, last three years there, I was assistant football and uh, and head basketball. Um, then I, I I moved. My next move was to Junction City, uh, kind of thinking I'd be there for you know four or five six years, uh, but I it, it really was a good fit for me. Uh, my children were getting older, and that was in 1980-81, and here we are in, in uh, 2020, and I just finished uh, uh, my 40th season here at Junction City. So 
that's a that's as quick a history as I can give you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, coach, I mean, all together, how many years have you been coaching? Well, I've been coaching uh, for 51 years. 49 of those as a head basketball coach. I was a head football coach for seven years uh, at two different schools. Um, but uh, and I was a JV basketball coach at Nestucca with Ken Lathan was the head coach, and I was his assistant for two years, and then he left. And I, as I said, I took on both football and basketball for a while, and and then decided that I couldn't do both justice as a head coach. So, but that's uh, 49 years as a head basketball coach. Yeah, um, <clears throat> coach, that's that's unheard of nowadays. Um, you know, a lot. Of, I think a lot of problems within our profession in general is we're, we're actually losing coaches uh, quickly. Uh, you know, they're only hanging out for two or three years, and uh, for whatever reason, they're you know moving on or just don't want to do it anymore. What are some of the things that have contributed to your longevity in this profession? Well, first of all, very understanding wife and family. Uh, you know, it's it's a not not an easy profession from the standpoint of the time it takes and the commitment and dedication it takes. And and I I was always I've always been a guy that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try and do my best and put the time in and. And, you know, it's even in some ways easier now because back then when if you wanted to scout somebody, you had to get in your car and drive 50 or 100 miles, whatever it took. And much of that is taken care of now with with the online video. But but it's, it, that's the first part is it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. I think that's why a lot of people don't stay with it is it's difficult for families. Um, I've really been fortunate that I haven't had very many parent issues Uh I don't know why that is, uh, but I, I've had very few, uh, and, you know, I think those wear on coaches. I think they wear coaches out because uh, most of us are in it for the athletes. And basketball is a tough one because, you know, no matter how you play it, there's only five out there at a time, and and it's hard to, to keep everybody happy. Uh, so, uh, and the other thing is I, I had, you know, over the course of, of years, you have good teams and that are easy to coach, and you have teams that are a little more difficult. And then you also have some teams that are, are actually, you know, for lack of a better description, sometimes take the fun out of coaching and uh, haven't had many of those. Uh, most years I've, I've really enjoyed the, the kids I've had. And, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Brown, you know, says that, one of his comments is that if you have uh, one jackass on your team, it, it makes it difficult. Uh, but if you've got two, you got a jackass farm. And uh, that's uh, fortunate because I just haven't had that. And I think that's made it easy for me to, to stay in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, Coach, you, you mentioned family life a little bit and, and being all in. Is there anything you do that that helps you kind of balance that that family life and, and coaching life that that you'd be willing to share that might help other people that struggle with that? Well, I don't know that I've done a great job of it, but I, but I would say that one of the things that I've learned that you know that that and, and I still don't know if I do a great job of it. It's hard to treat an old teach an old dog, you know, but. There's just there's sometimes times you think you really need to do something, and in fact, uh, it'll probably be okay if you don't. Um, 
the uh, just a second. I'm sorry. No. The uh, the truth is, it can be done tomorrow or, or later if need be, and I, I think we we sometimes think that we're maybe maybe we think we're a little more too important than we really are, or or us being involved with something is is more important than it need be, and and I think that's the one thing I would say is uh, there's times when maybe it's just better to let it go and stay home and uh, and deal with it later. That's not easy in this day and age because of all the easy communication and and easy for people to be critical and um, and and what I see as an athletic director is so many coaches uh, get criticized and and beat up uh, over social media and uh, so they become somewhat paranoid you know and worried about dotting every t and cross crossing I mean dotting every i and crossing every t and that makes them uh, sometimes their priorities get out of whack. No, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Coach, you talked about, you know, getting to, to be under Barry Adams, who who's obviously a legend in, in, in Oregon high school basketball. And you mentioned um, getting to learn kind of the right way to, to start and run a program. Uh, what are some of those things that, that you've learned from him that, that you implement in, in your program at Junction City? Well, you know, when I started um, – I pretty much ran Barry Adams basketball from what I knew of it anyway. Uh, uh, the, the way I taught the game, uh, the way I, uh, I approached the game was, was you know, very strongly influenced by him. And, you know, Barry was, Barry was a great organizer, too. I mean, his practices were very well organized. His, uh, I remember once when I when I was first going to start coaching football, I went to see him and he and he gave me this chart that showed his practices for the first four weeks of the season in football because he was also had been a head football coach and and that's just the way he did things uh, and and I think organization's huge to success in in anything we do but you know I think in basketball coaching it's a, a big part of it so. Uh, I remember him showing me his practice schedules that he had kept over the years, and I've done that myself. I, I actually need to go in and throw that stuff away now, probably. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I, so I, I learned a lot about or, practice organization, program organization uh, from him. And uh, and I, you know, the other thing that I think was that he had a, a demeanor. When working with an athlete, that I that I always tried to model. Uh, you know, you can't model everything people do. You you have to be your own man. But but I I thought there was just a lot of things that he did when working with athletes that that seemed to really work well and and make and made him connect. And uh, you know, I don't know if you ever watched Coach Adams teach, but uh, he was an excellent classroom teacher because I had him in school. But he was. He was a he was a teacher of the game, and uh, the little things were always important. And so I've tried to tried to follow that. Now, yeah. uh, coach, you've seen the game of basketball change a lot. Um, obviously, forty nine years as a head coach, the game has uh, adapted and, and developed in a lot of ways. Um, and for you, I would imagine as a coach, kind of your you know, your offensive, your defensive philosophy, how you do things has changed tremendously over that time. Can you talk about how that's changed and, and what it used to look like maybe when you were at Tillamook Catholic or Nesteca and, and what it looks like 
now. Well, I hate to think about how it looked when I was at Tillamook Catholic and the Stuckeye. You know, I was at that point in my career, and I would say this to any young coaches, where I actually thought I knew quite a bit about the game. And uh, it took me about 15, 20 years to figure out that I didn't know very much about the game. And, uh, and, and that probably helped me. But in relation to the changing of the game, there are certainly a lot of things that, that have changed in the way I teach the game and the way I approach the game. There are some things that haven't changed. Uh, but if, if you want to talk about it from, from the two sides of the ball, uh, offensively, we've, we've adjusted and adapted, uh, uh, as, because at the high school level, first of all, you get what walks through the door, at least in most of our schools, uh, and, and you, you can't, you can't just do what you've always done, uh, because the, the, the level of talent or the type of talent that you have changes and, and so one of the mistakes I made early on was that I had my offensive system, and then I tried to adjust, adapt my kids to that system. And uh, that that wasn't as effective as I don't, I don't think as I could have been. Uh, since then, I've, I've changed. And, you know, everyone now, of course, is four and five out, uh, a lot of dribble penetration, uh, that type of action. And, and we actually went to that back in the early 2000s and, and maybe even a little before that, after, but I, I don't know exactly when we made the change because we suddenly had a run of athletes that were six foot one and under, and uh, the, they could shoot the ball some. And so we went to a four-out, five-out stuff back then. And I remember one year uh, we had a group that shot 454 threes, you know, back then, and people thought I'd gone nuts, you know, but... <laughs> But but I had five kids I could put out there that could all shoot to three, and they were all six foot and under. We called ourselves a six foot and under wonders, and uh, and so you know you have to adapt. I think according to your talent, and so you know, and there's lots of ways. We we used when we won a state title in '94, and we ran triangle. We ran it a lot, triangle triangle and mini games, and we'd pound the ball inside and. Uh, and we didn't score a lot of points, but we defended well, and and we made we possessed the ball, and as a result, we were successful. Uh, I haven't run triangle now for a number of years because I just haven't felt like I had people that could do that. I had better people with the ball and could handle the ball on the perimeter, and so we've we've gone to we now run read and react. So we've changed, you know. Now defensively. We, we've gotten better at teaching, but we haven't changed a lot. You know, mm-hmm. one year I tried uh, to make a little change, and and uh, and, and I and it lasted one year, and, and I went right back to what I do. And and defensively, we, we've certainly gotten better at teaching it, but but uh, we uh, we're, we're fairly consistent, you know, with what we do on defense on the defensive end. You mentioned, you know, there, there's some things that, that haven't changed. Um, what, what are, what are those things that, that have been, you know, there throughout your, your 49 years as a head coach? Well, you know, there, you know, you can run whatever you want, but you have to get kids that buy in, and you have to get kids that are willing to play hard, and, uh, and, and, you, and they want, they have to, to, to be willing to run, do the things that you want them to do, and. 
and you know we're we're we play the game freer than we used to, but we still you know are fairly structured you know and I know there's a lot of people that that there's not a lot of structure in what they they do now they just have they have athletes and they kind of allow those athletes to to play and I understand that uh you know school our size uh, we have to kind of uh take what we have and and it's it's you know it's not too often that we have a you know a tremendous number of and a large number of basketball athletes you know we have kids that play the game pretty well uh but they still may only have a you know a 16 inch jump reach <laughs> you know and uh, so that the ability the, the, the expectations of kids to run our system and and do things in our in our program hasn't changed much uh, what we expect out of athletes hasn't changed much. Uh, you know, we still expect uh, quality character. And uh, uh, what's changed is how I measure success. Uh, I used to measure success strictly by the win-loss column. I still, that's really important to me, but a lot more important to me is is the kind of young men that come out of the program and, and whether they can move on and be successful, and if we've done anything to help them get to that point, and and that certainly hasn't changed for for a number of years. Uh, I've stayed with those things. Defensively, as I mentioned, we really haven't changed. We we try to put a lot of pressure on the basketball, if at all possible. Uh, we we want to be close enough to people. You know, we we would try to get into people so that they can't move the ball in their hand easily on us uh you know we work really hard on helping and helping early and uh playing physically uh those things haven't changed much yeah you mentioned you know getting that buy-in from from kids and and i think that's something that's gotten in in my opinion and, and you can speak on this maybe a little bit better than i can uh, it's, it's getting a little bit harder i think to create that buy-in sometimes from kids just because there's so many other opportunities for them to do other things. Exactly. How do you create that buy-in to get kids, you know, interested and really hooked into what you're trying to teach them and the expectations that you have for them? Well, there's, there's two or three things. First of all, I, I, I've kind of gone to a uh, – I do a little more one-on-one -on -one talking with kids about what they need to do to be successful. And – and the reason I – what you said is exactly true. There are so many other things that they can do, uh, some which are very good and some which aren't so good, uh, that, that you know, to get them to, to put the time in to be as good as they need to be or as good as they want to be is really difficult. And uh, so I, I try to talk to kids. You know, this spring is really one of the things about this – this no school thing is that I've lost the ability to to bring kids in and talk about. So what is it you'd like to accomplish? How are you going to get there? I try to put the ball in their court more, whereas I used to talk to the group more, you know, and talk to them about, hey, this is what we need to do to get better, and da 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 da. But the bottom line is is that that I think you have to get more personal with kids and 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 sit down with them and really you know walk them through and and then <clears throat> as it always has been it's kind of up to them um whether they they want to do that and put the time in uh 
and, and it's not hard to tell. You know, you can see them come out the other end. Uh, so that's that's the one thing that I that I do is I'm trying to do a better job of that, and it's time consuming uh, to get around to all those kids. The other thing is is that we have we have gone and, and, and I hope we do it in all of our athletic programs, but I I really try to work with kids on the idea that it's about becoming a better athlete, better basketball player, but what we really want to be about is also is becoming a better, more successful person. And and if kids buy into that, then they begin to understand the work that goes into being successful. And and I think that is something that 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 I really tried to emphasize in the last, you know, 10, 15 years is, you know, who do you want to be? And being a good basketball player is part of that. And and you have to put the time and energy into those things in order to be successful. So. Yeah. Coach, is there anything, do you have a program that you use to kind of teach those, uh, you know, kind of those life skills, that, that character development? Because um, I'm a big proponent of that, too. Um, do, do you use anything in particular? I mean, how do you spend that time to teach those things? Well, I don't think I do as good a job as it's one of those things, you know, you always evaluate yourself and go, oh, we need to do better there. Mm-hmm. I, I try to, I try to give just, you know, little lessons here and there. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't have a program per se. Uh, I think that there are there are certain things that that we're real consistent with as far as we have a, what we call a core value program here at our school that we started about 10 years ago and we we refer to those core values those character traits all the time and 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 when we win and when we lose we talk about those things you know uh because there's an awful lot to be gained at those moments after a win and probably more so after a loss. Um, and so we, we do those kind of things. And then I, you know, I talk to individual kids, uh, about the good things that they're doing and also when they're not doing things correctly. I try to spend more individual time. Um, um, but, you know, I don't have a, a, program that I've adopted I'm I'm working with the ADs in the state and and we're you know I've I've really gotten into what the inside out program and uh, the getting rid of the win at all costs and teaching kids how to be you know successful people and and we're also doing uh, there's there's several programs that we're kind of looking at and adopting I think more stuff's going to be coming out to coaches there but uh, that's really our job you know, unfortunately, they hire and fire us on other things, but that's really our job. And and so I hope that we do some of that. Uh, you know, I hope that our players, uh, you know, down the road relate back and go, you know what? I really learned how to work hard and how to become a better player because that was part of what was taught in that program. So, Yeah, that's great. I don't know if it's great but it's you know, what we do <laughs> well i mean i think it's i do think it's it's important to you know when you have those moments to teach those things because um, i think you know i think it's kip i own from Willamette university uh, he's been on our podcast and i heard him at a clinic once talk about 
you know, every coach says they want to coach those things and they want their kids to be better players. But, you know, how many of us actually spend some time teaching those things? I right? Think, I think it doesn't just happen. Yeah, I think you have to. You have to seize the moments, and I and there's times that I miss them, and I go, geez, I think about them later. I talk to my own, my other coaches about, you know, find kids doing something right and point it out to them. When they do something, they show character. Uh, you know, they they do the right thing. We try to, I mean, we do little things like a lot of people do. We started doing this a number of years back where when, before the last game in the gym in our place, we go out and after we have our brief talk, we go out, we clean the bleachers. And and, and that's, you know, people all do those kind of things now. But we started doing that a while back, and, and that had to do with, with getting kids to respect other people and what they do for in life, you know, our custodians and all the people that put these events on for them. There's so many kids that almost feel and think because they're not taught differently that that I'm kind of doing everyone a favor by showing up and playing in this gym and giving, entertaining these people. They don't even think about all the work that goes into getting that all ready to go so that they can show up and play, you know. And uh, one of the things that will come out of this thing this spring, which is a terrible way to learn it, but but kids, there will be kids that will have a whole new appreciation for the opportunity to play because mm-hmm. since they were big enough to get in a car and go to a soccer game, it's all been taken care of for them. And uh, all of a sudden someone took it away and or something took it away. And uh, we have to teach that when we get the opportunity next fall, you know. Right. You know, <laughs> appreciate it while you have it because I've never experienced anything like this. I mean, I've been... I've been, I remember being so disappointed because we got snowed out of a game or two. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. nothing like this. Yeah. I mean, nothing like this. So, anyway, I digress. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, Coach, I wanted to circle back around. You know, you talk about defensive into the floor. Uh, you talked about ball pressure, helping early. Uh, that hasn't changed much. But you mentioned that, that you've gotten better at teaching it. Uh, what are some of the things that that you do better? Is it is it the drills you run? Is it the words you use? I mean, how has your teaching got better, especially on that defensive end? I think all of the above. I, you know, a, a, a number of years back, and I don't even remember when is that, that we began. And, and I've actually talked to it about it at clinics and stuff. We began with with our defense, and we, I said, I want to make this as simple as I can for kids and for coaches. And so we we just do did start doing what we call our defensive progression, and through those through the simple progression we that we do on a regular basis, we start the season out, and we'll start out and we'll work the first day of practice, and we'll work nothing but one on one. And I don't know if some people, if they're old enough, remember the, what we used to call the old snake pit drill, where we we give the defender the ball and we. We get them ready. We get them in perfect defensive position. We force sidelines, so we get a little bit high side. We do not want the ball in the middle. And so we get everything ready, and when we're ready, we get right up into that guy and we give him the ball. And our job is to flatten him out, and we just simply work on that one-on-one, me against you, get tough, you know, get your nose bloody defense. And, and, you know, the we hand the defense hands them the ball when the defense is ready. And 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 we start with that. 
and and then we we begin to begin through the progression. The next thing is 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 what we call is and if and if in fact that guy gets beat and he goes to the basket and and the shot goes up, then we expect that guy to block out, uh, do all the fundamental things, get the basketball, make a good pivot, get it out of there, and and go back and go at it again. Then we go to two on two. And we, we simply put a coach in the middle, and we put guys on each wing, a defender up against them. And then when you're on the line, up the line, and when the ball gets entered, you know, we get up into that guy just like we were just a minute ago on Snake Pit, and we get to the help side. We call it lob guy. And uh, that's the change we made. I uh, got it from uh, Romars from Washington you know, two or three years ago at the coach, Coaches Association Clinic. And I picked that up. You know, he, he doesn't talk about help side. I got help. He says lob guy. And we added that. Gosh, what a difference that made because it really sent a message to our kids. Rather than just somebody yelling there giving help, they were talking about where they are because they got the, they got anything that was going to be lobbed. And in this case, of course, we're, we're midline and ready to help. And then we work hard, you know, on that closing out all parts of, of that drill. Uh, you know, we break close out down early, but then we just rehearse it every night. And then we go to three on three. And, uh, and now we have to rotate. You know, if, if we help, we have to rotate. And, and then block out, do all of those things. And, and then finally we go to our drill that's this kid, our kid's favorite drill. Four on four, get after it. And, uh, it's straight four on four, first team to five baskets. If you get a give up an offensive rebound, that's the same as a basket. Uh, and the losers have to run, and the referees don't call much. And you better finish when you get there. And you don't hammer a guy, but you can sure put a body on him. And that's our toughness drill. That's the drill that we can measure whether or not we're going to be any good on defense. And our kids love that drill. If I say, "What do you, what do you, what drill you want to run, the, run tonight?" It'll be four on four, good effort every time. The, the, you know, and I think that's a key to our toughness. And uh, our, I, I always, we always take pride in our defense. We're not as good as we always want to be, but generally we play pretty hard. You know, yeah. and, you know, we tell our kids, we ask them the question before every game. We put it up there. We always put play hard up there, and then we ask them how you measure it, and and we measure it in two or three ways. One is loose balls. You know, if if you figure out who got the most loose balls, you're figuring out which team's playing the hardest. And the other thing we talk about is is offensive rebounds. If you get more old boards than they do, then you're probably going harder than they are, and that's another really good measure that we use uh and uh and so we always put that up there loose balls and o boards and uh at the end of a game we always talk about those we don't talk a lot but we talk i ask coach how many o boards we give up how many did they get you know and then we talk about who had the loose balls and so anyway that's just some of the things that we do um, you know uh, another little thing we added about 4 years ago is that when we're running drills in practice and when we finish a drill, we immediately go to the end line and they, the kids all line up. They yell out which way they're going to face. Uh, they're going to face the bleachers or face our training room. 
And then uh, the end guy at the back of the line yells, go. And they shuffle out to the free throw line and they shuffle back. They yell defense while they did that. And then they, they sprint out and close out. And then the short shop, you tell, tell them to relax or tell them to go do it again because I didn't like it. And we do that multiple times a night. And what I think that helped us do was get much better at staying down, shuffling correctly, and closing out correctly. So we do that multiple times during the course of a practice. So I'm talking a lot. I hope you wanted me to do that. No, that's great. Yeah, no, this is this is great, great stuff. <laughs> uh, coaching your your two on two, three on three um, stuff. Do you put restrictions on your offense? Uh, you know, because sometimes two on two, you have the whole floor. You know, it can be really easy to get a cheap bucket, right? Yeah, we we absolutely do, and I, I should have okay. said that. Yeah, the the wings they have to stay there until they get the ball. Now, once the ball goes up, they can go to the boards, right. but the ball has to be swung back through on two on two. We have a coach out to control it typically, and the ball has to go back through the top, and because we want to work on specific things in that, and and we don't want guys just running all over the place, you know. Uh, so if I'm the if I'm on the the uh, right defensive side and the ball gets kicked to the left wing, then I I'm going to jump to the ball, get midline, talk about being lob guy, uh, and my off the guy I'm guarding's got to stay home unless the ball gets driven and shot, and then he can go. Ball gets swung, he's there, so now I got to close him out, and he can shoot it. Uh, he can, you know, well, the thing we absolutely don't want is we do not want the ball to get into the middle of the floor. And, 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 you know, the thing about that is is that that's so crucial to a lot of people's approach. But it's amazing if you watch film how often you still give the middle up. Mm-hmm. And and we run that drill every night, and we give it up in the drill. And and so you can't over-teach it. You, yeah. you just can't. I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing. And uh, and the other thing that we work extremely hard on is that, you know, you you, you you never watch the ball. You never watch the face. You watch the middle of the body because the ball on the face will lie to you. And, uh, but we also try to get tight enough that a guy can't move the ball on us. Right. You know, you know uh, which is not easy to get kids to do. So Yeah. I hope yeah. that answered your question. Three on three now, we do – we include the top, top guy. He can drive now. He doesn't have to just reverse the ball. He can now drive. And, and of course – Right wing drives, weak side gets across and helps outside the lane. Now the top guy's got to drop and cover the backside block. And covering backside block is huge what we do. And, uh, and you know, I got to give credit. An awful lot of what we, that I evolved came from my assistant coach, Earl Fellows, who, who was my JV coach for many, many years and really excellent coach, but an excellent defensive coach. And some of the key things that, that, made us better defensively were things that Earl, you know, emphasized and I picked up from watching him coach and talking with him over the years. So uh, that really helped us become a better defensive program. Absolutely. That's great. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from Coach Rothenberger right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Want more from the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast? Visit our website at anchor.fm slash obca. 
or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Junction City Boys Basketball Coach Craig Rothenberger. Uh, Coach, one of the things that I think is is really hard to teach, but something that we know um, is really crucial to to all great teams is is leadership. Uh, you know, when your players lead, um, you, you really have really tough, successful teams. Is there anything that you've done or learned over the years to kind of help develop that leadership in players? Well, yeah, I, I think it's extremely tough. And I, every time I see something on leadership, I stop and take a look at it. And uh, but <clears throat> there's a couple things, and one in particular that I really emphasize with my with my players, with my captains, and with my entire athletic program. I talk to our athletes about it every year, and that is, you know, if you want to lead your team, then you need to serve your team. And uh, service leadership is is really what I think it's all about. You know, we I don't think we identified it, and you know, uh, for a long time, but the 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 kind of people that that do a great job in leadership are typically the people that convince their team that they care about them and they'll do what they can to help not just individuals and the group and so i really emphasize with my captains and we have a process for selecting captains that that you know i can quickly run over but the bottom line is I, I, I tell those captains that you need to lead. I ask, I'll ask every sports season. I'll ask all the athletes when we have them together, how many of you would like to be a leader on your team? And you know, a good number of them's hands will go up. And so the next thing I tell them is, then you need to learn how to serve your team, because if you serve your teammates, they will follow you when it comes time to do so. Um, and that I think is is a real key. I think, you know, the old adage of the the, the the toughest guy who screams and yells and all of that is is not necessarily true. The other thing I say would say to coaches is is that the the, the idea that that you can pick your leader is probably not very accurate. And it, I heard a guy talk about this. I can't remember who it was now, but. Very frequently, the person who is the best leader on your team may not be the person you would like to be that leader. Uh, and the way he put it was, uh, get in, walk on a bus, and see, watch what's going on and who's in charge. Go in the locker room, maybe it's a little loud and noisy, and figure out who's running the show. And he says, that's probably your leader. Uh, now, what you have to do then is teach them how to lead properly. Uh, but by you don't get to select somebody and then the team buy them as a leader. It just doesn't typically work that way. So yeah. we do a process, and we we ask our kids to rank the top three kids <clears throat> in a whole number of categories, the person they trust the most, the person they, they think has the best relationship with their teammates, uh, the person that works the hardest. And we have them go through a process of, of labeling that on their team and then we give them 24 hours and then we come back and give that sheet back to them and say now we'd like you to vote for your two team captains <clears throat> and virtually every time they will vote for the people who they gave the highest ranking who the team gave the highest ranking in those categories uh, so if you give them the opportunity 
they know how to pick the people that they look to. Yeah, that's good. No, I like that. It's also a, a tangible way uh, to measure that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of just asking them first, you get them to think about it, and, and that's, I think, really powerful. Yeah, yeah it is. If they, they, they have to stop and think about who they trust the most. Uh, that one comes back to them when they're voting for the person they're going to vote for their captain. Yeah. So the guy they trust the least may be their best friend. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean they're going to vote for him as a captain. So, yeah. 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 Um, Coach, I want to kind of get off of not really basketball, but kind of uh, just tap into your experience, uh, both as an athletic director and a coach. Um, you know, you've served under uh, a lot of different administrators. Um, you've worked with a, a lot of different types of parents over your years. Um, what advice do you have uh, for coaches in dealing with both parents and administrators? Sure. Yeah, that's an excellent question, and I, I don't think it's, you know, some of it has to do just with, with experience, and, and the more times you have to deal with those situations, the better you get at it. But <clears throat> the first thing I would say about dealing with parents is you have to be willing to listen, uh, but not promise anything uh, you know the you know giving parents an opportunity to visit with you uh, about a concern that they have you know there's certain obviously as everyone knows there's certain things you you cannot talk about and you can't talk about other people's kids and and uh, but but the, the ability to sit and listen and and let them air out frequently if you allow people the opportunity to express their concerns um, and then and, and try to work through those, the things will will move in a positive direction. The thing you cannot do, and I see this happen too much, is if coaches get into conversations, and even without meaning to, they begin to lead that person on to believe that somehow because of this conversation, things are going to get better, and which may be true, but the fact that they think that playing time is going to increase that's a mistake if the parent walks out of the meeting thinking that. So you have to listen to them, but you don't promise them or give them false hope about anything. Because the worst thing you can do is have a parent meeting, and and in your mind, you know the the athlete is still the athlete, and they're still trying to to get their own, you know, earn their own way. But the parent walks out of the meeting meeting believing that now suddenly their son or daughter is going to play more. Uh, that is, uh, you know, it just, it will cause you more grief than, than anything you can do on those kind of things. Uh, you want to focus on the athlete and uh, what you see in the athletes, find to talk about things you'd like them to work on or, or find to talk about, but none of that relates to the fact that if they do all those, they'll suddenly begin to play more hmm. um, because that's those conversations just don't work. As far as administrators, the first thing I would say to any coach, and, and myself included, is one of the things you have to understand is who your boss is. And uh, that is noise. You know, you may not like that, but the fact is most of us work for somebody or somebody oversees us. And, uh, and in, if you get into issues, ego-driven issues in particular, uh, differences of opinion, 
and and you want to battle those uh, with those people who who oversee you, then you're probably not going to come out of that very well. I, I think you have to. There's been times when I've walked out of meetings, not I didn't like what I heard, but I understood that that was the person who was in charge, and I had to then make a choice. Either I need to follow what they want me to do, or I go find a different job. And, uh, and there's just no two ways about that from from the way I function. And that's the way I've had uh, 14 different principles, I think, and I think I figured that out one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've gotten along with every one of them. Yeah. But I've always understood they were my principal. You know, I was their athletic director, or I was their basketball coach, or I was their teacher. But in fact, you know, and one nice thing about administrators is most generally they don't stay anywhere too long anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you're not happy, if you hang around right. long enough, you'll probably get by with somebody else. <laughs> That's, <great. laughs> That's awesome. Um, Coach, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, assistant coaches because you know over the years I know you you've had a lot of a lot of those and and that's something I think a lot of us as as coaches head coaches especially we do a lot of work to help uh whether it's our youth program or or our kids in general and I think sometimes we we don't do enough to to help our assistant coaches who also want to grow and get better uh at the craft of coaching um what are some of the things that that you have done or do to kind of help develop your your coaches well one of the first things I try and do is just tell them that, you know, I'm an open door and my, if you got, if you need to know something or if you want to, you want to bounce something off me, please do it. The second thing you have to, I think is really important is you have to re- respect their opinions. Now they may come to you with the worst idea you've ever heard of, but that's, that's fine. Uh, you, you have, you know, you need to listen to that because the next time they come, they may have a great idea. And uh, you can't implement everybody's ideas, but but they have to they have to believe that you're willing to learn from them as well as them learn from you. It's no different than working with your athletes. You know, as a as a young coach, I never did this, but as a as a in this point of my career, I look at my kids. I'll I'll have a timeout, and I go and I'll say to them, Hey, we got two options here. Which one do you guys want to go with? I do that in preseason quite a bit, and it's kind of if they're, they get used to that, but initially they're not used to that. You know, do you want to hold the ball, or should we just keep keep trying to score? It's late in the game; we're up four. You know, those are decisions that are good to throw at kids. It's the same thing's true with coaches. You know, you need to you need to include them in the fray, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with with looking at your freshman coach who you haven't talked to the whole game and say, hey, what do you think? Think we ought to think we ought to stay with this man, and those kind of things engage people uh, rather than just keeping them. And 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 what you do is you also can learn an awful lot. The other thing is you got to you got to be willing to learn from your assistants, and they got to understand that you're willing to listen to that. And that's hard. I don't know that I always do a great job of that, uh, but I, I I try to to do that. Uh, the expectations that I have for them, you know, is they got to care about their kids, and they got to try and convey that. Uh, the other one that I have is they got to be loyal. You know, I tell them you don't like something we're doing, or you know that's fine, 
but you talk to us about it. You don't talk to anybody else about it. You know? mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, how hard they work, they got to be willing to, I mean, I don't know, true of all sports, but I know in this, this game, it takes a lot of time and it's a long season and then it's, there's the off season and, and they got to be willing to, to put the time in and then, and then, and teach the system the way you want to taught. Uh, so I think the biggest single thing is, is respecting people for their, their knowledge base and, and drawn from that and making them feel like, you know, they're part of the team. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Um, I want to talk about the opportunity that you've had, which is, is unique, I think, for a lot of coaches um, and and specifically to you now because it's another generation. You got to coach your own kids um, when they were in high school, and, and now you get to coach your grandson um, in, in high school. Um, can you talk about, you know, what that experience is like and, and maybe some of the challenges that, that have come along uh, with that? Sure. Um you know, <clears throat> interestingly, my 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 two sons, I, I coached them both. They're they're very different, uh, very different personalities. Uh, I coached them very differently, and uh, frankly, I, I did a much better job with the second one than I did to the third one. I mean, the first one. I think probably I hope I did better job with the grandchildren, first grandson. I'm now coaching the second grandson. Uh, it's it's really it's it's very rewarding in some ways it's also very difficult uh and and i think some of it has to be learned just by doing but the, the fact is is that um uh, it's a little different uh, and and the thing you have to be extremely careful about is i i i think it's a pretty unusual person who can have a son or daughter playing for them and not in their own mind as they view things have a little higher expectation for them than they do the rest of them, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's not fair. Uh, but it but I think it's real. It was certainly real for me. And um, you know, one kid could make a turnover with a bad pass to the wing that went out of bounds, and you would go, "Dang it!" And then you're son or daughter does it and you go what the heck are you doing you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's uh you know i'm gonna turn as lytle cowell used to say take them home and turn their plate over you know <laughs> and, eat. and and uh and so you really have to guard against that um and and i don't know that how other than to being aware of it uh i think i got better at it um uh, but uh, I think my my first son Bart probably paid the highest price uh, because I wasn't as good at it, uh, but he was a guy that you could coach hard and he'd just play harder, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so f- that was fortunate for him. <clears throat> but there, that's that's important. Uh, the other thing is is, is enjoy the successes, uh, you know, because. I think we have a tendency to enjoy it more with feel better about enjoying it with other kids and not so much with their own and I think you really need to enjoy it with your own too make sure that when you have a success you you uh 
you enjoy it, and when you have a failure, you, you, you deal with that because there's so much gain from that. Um, you know, <clears throat> the uh, the idea that uh, you know you got to do everything you can to make sure that that you treat them, you know, the same, which is very hard because no matter how you do it, others are going to see it that they're somehow being treated special, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you might as well face that one. There's no way around it. Uh, you know, there there's simply no way around it. Uh, they're going to believe that, and and you can't fix it. Uh, you just be as fair as long as you're happy with it, and you feel you're being fair. Then that's that's the way it should be. But uh, that's I, I don't know that how much wisdom there is there. But I, it, you know, I've truly enjoyed coaching my sons and my grandsons. It's uh, it's 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 really some a special opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think most coaches I've I've talked to about it really really enjoy it, but it, it's a fine line, right? Uh, like you were saying, just that expectation's a little a little bit higher, um, <laughs> and trying trying to manage that it can can be difficult at times. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> coaches as an athletic director, I want to ask you for for coaches uh, who might be assistants and are, are trying to move up or, or maybe even head coaches uh, that are, that are looking for, for possibly new situations, um, in the next, next year or two. Um, what advice do you have for, for applicants that are, that are going to apply to be a head, head coach? What kind of characteristics are you looking for as a, as an athletic director? Well, you know, <clears throat> you know, the, the, some things are, you know, the, the, we have three questions that we, uh, we ask coaches in our interviews, and, and I got those from Inside Out Coaching, and actually three or four things. But you know, um, one of them is why do you coach? Uh, first thing you have to figure out is why you're going to why you coach. Well, if you'd asked me that when I was first starting, it was because I love to play, I I love the game, I I uh, you know I, I love the competition. Uh, I don't think it'd have been a very good answer. You know? mm-hmm. um, and and you know when I ask that question, you know you're hoping that people really enjoy the kids and the and the opportunity to work with them in in a different setting. I mean, I enjoyed the classroom, uh, and, but I enjoyed coaching in a whole different way because of the ability to 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 get to know kids better and, and to do something together that 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 the whole was bigger than the parts. Uh, it took me a little bit, but I learned to understand that. So what, we asked that question. The second question we ask is, why do you coach the way you coach? And that's really a good question, you know, because it makes you stop and think about how do I coach? So mm-hmm. and why do I coach that way? The third question is my favorite. And, and this is one that, that I had to ask myself, and I, that was only a few years ago. What's it like to be coached by you? And um, that's a really, you know, when a person can can answer that question for me, uh, you know, without too much hesitation, and, and I hear certain things, I can get a pretty good sense of who they are, mm-hmm. you know. And then the last one is, you know, how do you define success? In coaching, right. what what's success for you? And so, 
I, I begin to use those, and, and they, they lead you in lots of directions. Obviously, you want somebody that has an understanding of the game, has an understanding of how to be, build a program that, that is appropriate for the level that you're at, because there's a big difference between you, uh, you know, at a 5A school and somebody at a, at a 2A school uh, with uh, 150 kids, uh, you know, because you can, you know, the way you build those programs are, are, are different, you know. There's certainly some things that are similar, but, but you know, you're drawn, you, the, 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 the pool you're drawn from and how you make that successful is, is really quite different. So you, those answers, you know, so you need people that understand the, the place they're going and what they're, what, what the demands would be and what, what needs to happen. And then I always ask some questions that have to do with, with, uh, knowledge of the game. You know, I, the, the last time we did an interview for a basketball coach, I asked the question, you've got, uh, I'm going to set a drill up for you. I got a guy on the wing with someone guarding him. I got a guy in the post with somebody guarding him. Uh, tell me what you will tell each of those four people. On the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, what do you want them to do? And uh, and left it at that. Pretty interesting to watch coaches try to answer that question. Right. You know, and so I'm I try to find out what they know about the game. But uh, you know, if you want to be if you want to be somebody who has the opportunity to get a job, you know, you need to understand the game. You need to have a system, a program that you believe in. And more, probably the most important thing is you need to understand what it is you want to do for kids. You know, what is it you bring to kids? Why should I hire you in this position? And that is something that you have to learn through some background and some experience. Most people do. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, That's great. I would say to a young coach, if you're working for a head coach who you don't think cares about the kids, and and the way that they interact with their athletes is not, uh, you know, you don't feel good about it. Then you you probably need to look for another job and get find somebody who can lead you better than that, uh, because that's pretty important. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, my last question before we go our next break is, you know, it's something that's, that's been been all over and and seen a lot. I mean, what advice do you have for for young coaches that are maybe just starting their fifty year journey now in in two in two thousand twenty? What advice do I have? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's start with on the court. You know, well, first of all, I would say, sure, you you need to figure out what it is you want to do and organize that uh, on on what both ends of the floor. Now, you have to be flexible. Uh, you know, you may you may have something in mind that you want to do, and may quickly figure out that with 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 the hand you've been dealt, that isn't. You have to make some adjustments, and I think good coaches do that. But you need to be organized, uh, and and you need to have your people organized enough that that you can accomplish what it is you you want. Uh, so that that's that's really crucial. Uh, you need to have a work ethic. Uh, if you're not willing to work hard and put in the time, uh, then then I think you know it's it, you're, you're not going to be successful unless you're just fortunate enough to run into a lot of talent. Uh, because the truth is, 
you don't have to be a very good coach to be successful when you have really good talent. Um, you know, the measure of your the job you're doing is when you have average talent. Can you, or when you have poor talent, even when you have average talent, talent can you compete with the good ones? And when you have poor talent, can you at least keep yourself respectable? That's when you can measure yourself. When you have the really good ones, they're pretty easy to coach uh, because they make you look good even though it wasn't your idea. You know, I, used to, I say this about point guards. The difference, the difference between having a really good point guard and a and a and not having a point guard is about four or five easy baskets a game. Mm. <laughs> True. Yeah. You know, and four or five easy baskets can make a big difference in a basketball game. Yeah, and uh, so you know that's you know the, the question dealing with my advice. The the other thing that that I would say about as far as on the court is, I'm a real strong believer in that. You know, people talk about the running game and and the pressing game and all of that. Here, here's what I what I've seen, and and people will certainly disagree with me. The ability to press people uh, has changed over the last 10 to 15 years um, because with the emphasis on ball handling, what we have now is a whole lot more kids on teams that can handle a basketball. And so where it used to be you frequently would, would maybe press a team that you thought maybe you only had one and then maybe another half or possibly two ball handlers, but the rest of them really didn't want to handle the ball that much. They were a lot easier to press than a team that's got four and five ball handlers, and so pressing has has not be, not as not as prevalent as it used to be. Uh, and what I find is is that you can press a lot better in December than you can in February. Um, mm-hmm. People just get better at taking care of the ball and attacking it. So that I think has changed some. Uh, you can run up and down the floor and score a lot better in December than you can in February. People get better and better at defending against the run and gun. Uh, and so I believe that if you're going to be successful in the long run on a consistent basis, you better be sure that you can defend on the half court and you can execute on the half court. There's a little bit of my philosophy. Yeah, no, that's great. I just uh, I, I think that there's certainly teams that that can do those other things because of their talent pool and their talent level, uh, and we do some of those things in spurts. But the old days of Johnny Wooden running the two-two-one for the entire ball game, uh, you know, you just don't see that anymore at any level, you know. Right. And that's because I think there's so many more people that can handle the basketball, you know. Yeah, the the idea of, of there being a point guard or a shooting guard or what yeah, it's kinda of gone away, right? This positionless basketball has kinda of taken over and right. makes it a lot harder to, no, to trap the guy you want. Exactly. You <laughs> yeah. know, he, he he splits that he splits that trap a little early whereas the other guy used to pick the ball up and try to get back to the other guy because I don't want it. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> and uh and now there's even to a fault some of them think they want it. Um, right. You know, I have to teach them not to want it. Uh, <laughs> because when they play in the park, it doesn't make any difference who has it. And, you know, 
the half court thing, and I believed this for a long time. You, you know, uh, if you watch high school basketball and, and how many times it comes down to the ability to get a stop on the half court uh, and execute and get a, a key bucket, I mean, you just have to be able to do that. And granted, it's easier the better, more talent you have, absolutely. But even if you're less talented, you can become pretty good at those two things, executing on the half court. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we return, Coach Rothenberger will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association by visiting our website, or.nhsbca.org or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Oregon BCA <laughs> Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Craig Rothenberger, boys basketball coach at Junction City High School. Uh, coach, for my next set of questions, uh, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. So here's how it works. Uh, I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that are going to have one- to two-word answers. Uh, and we're just going to try to see how many we can get through in 35 seconds. Okay. All right? Sure. All right. <clears throat> uh, starting now, do you think Oregon High School basketball should have a shot clock? No. If you're up three points with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Yes. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off, pull off a press? Uh, 25. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Double. You think the three-point line should be moved back in high school basketball? No. What's your favorite pregame meal? Personally, a hamburger. How do you, <laughs> how do you celebrate after a big win? Uh, count off the number of the win. Uh, and what's one word officials would use to describe you? Uh, intense. Intense. That's good. I'm going to be honest, that's been a common one, Coach. I think intensity <laughs> from coaches is a, is a common thing. That was good, Coach. That, we, were, we went through a lot of questions there. That was impressive. That was impressive. Um, coach, I want to ask you uh, specifically a little bit about, about the shot clock. Um, I figured you would. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a hot topic. Uh, right now in, in Oregon high school basketball um, and uh, across the country, uh, for that matter, uh, you know, you had mentioned that, that you weren't necessarily in favor uh, at the high school level of a shot clock. Can you can you elaborate on that answer a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, in, in my view, the shot clock um, is is an at, it gives an advantage to the, the team with the most talent and. Uh, and in high school basketball, in most cases, your talent up, goes up and down based on what walks through the door, especially in schools my size. And so as a result, uh, there's times that I have to play people that, frankly, are, are have more talent than I do. And if we're going to be made to get rid of the basketball, uh, you know, every 35 seconds, which I'm assuming that's what we would go to, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to possibly give them more possessions and and if you take a talented team versus a less talented team and they get more possessions than you do uh 
uh, your odds of winning begin to drop pretty rapidly because they're difficult to stop. You know, in my mind, it's kind of like telling the football teams that, hey, we really like to open the field up a little bit and, and make it more fun for the fans so nobody can run the double wing anymore. It's it's too, uh, you know, we, everyone's got to spread the field and throw the ball around. And, uh, and well, yeah, well, I don't got anybody that can throw the ball, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. When I'm playing against people that I know, I mean, I've had a number of opportunities where I've been in games and won games where I didn't think I even belonged out there with them. And and that's, you know, because I had kids that were well-disciplined, would take care of the ball. We'd get the people spread out a little bit, and uh, our our 6'1 kid would beat that 6'7 kid to the basket and lay it in, and, and we've had the ball for 40 seconds, and now they come down and they haven't touched the ball for 40 seconds, and they, they of course, shoot it right away. And we get it back, and 40 seconds later we score another lay-in, and suddenly it's a game. And uh, that, you know, I think too many people focus on the idea uh, of holding the ball, standing out, and putting the ball on your hip and everybody. Well, that only happens if the other team decides to stand back in the zone and let it happen. You know, And all of a sudden we blame the offense for that. And, in fact, the defense could go out. I mean, everyone wants to talk about the Springfield, uh, was it Willamette? Uh, yeah, game. girls. Yep. You know, girls game. Well, yeah, I understood why they stood back in the zone. If I had that post player, I'd do the same thing. But, you know, why was all the blame on Willamette? Because Willamette, the idea was, this is the only chance we have to win. Right. You know, and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I just really believe, I guess in a nutshell, because I could talk about this for an hour. But in, in a nutshell, uh, I think what it does is it gives the talented team an advantage, and they've already got an advantage. So you're kind of writing off those upsets, those opportunities. And there's so few of those in which they actually hold the ball and score is 10 to 12, you know. Right. Uh, you don't see that often. So I don't know. There's actually – there's only – a few schools, I mean, a few states that have the shot clock, aren't they? Isn't there at yeah. that point? And I think there's now eight, eight or eight, seven or eight, uh, right around there. It seems like every year another state adds it. Um, but it, it's not the overwhelming amount of the states, or I should say the, the high majority of the states still don't have it. I uh, played, we went to California last year, not this year, but the year before, mm-hmm. and we played under it. And I got to tell you, it only came in the we, – now, we weren't very good, you know, because we just went down and played. We didn't do anything right. special. You know, we put a couple options in. But but the, the shot clock only came into play in four games, maybe three times, three or four times. You know, it, right. it, it didn't – it's not too often in mm-hmm. most games that you take longer than that to shoot the ball. Now, did it cause people to shoot the ball when they really weren't quite ready? Yeah, it probably did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the shot clock buzzer didn't go off. Now, from an athletic director's point of view, mm-hmm. uh, it's a whole another issue. Uh, people talk about the cost, but the costs are one time for the clocks in in you know a couple different gyms. Um, the bigger issue is getting. I can't. I have a difficult time finding people to run all of my clocks, just my clocks. And the shot clock operator's got to be better at what he does than the clock operator. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's a tougher job. So now I've got to find people to run shot clocks, and that's going to be at my level, like pulling teeth, finding right. people to do that. Uh, is, would this be at all levels or just varsity? Uh, I mean, that's actually actually one of the questions that I ask people. I, I skipped over it just because you said you weren't in favor. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think that's hard. You know, the state of Oregon is so different through the six classifications. Because yeah. um, there's some people that think, well, maybe we should just do it at 5A, 6A or, you know, but, you know, there's other people that say, no, you got to do it to all. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think it's really difficult for for the smaller schools uh, from the standpoint of budgetary items and 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 getting people to operate them. I right. Mean, what do you do in Adrian to find you know? I mean, it's got to be hard to find someone to run the shot clock. You know, I don't pick it on Adrian, but I mean, right. there's small little community. I mean, I know how tough it would be for me. It yeah. would be. I have a tough time getting people to run my clocks and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got one and then my backup, and that's it. And uh, so I just – I don't think it's – it's. Uh, first of all, I just don't think it's needed. You know? mm-hmm. I just don't – I don't think it's going to improve Oregon basketball. No, so, that's fair. That's, that's reasonable. reasonable. And by the way, Oregon basketball is good basketball. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I really I, – I do agree with that. Yeah. Um, Coach, it used to be that the basketball started the first week of November, right. um, and and over the years it seems like it keeps getting moved back. Now we're we're mid November. Um, would would you be in favor of, of starting basketball at the beginning of November again? Well, uh, I'm kind of got mixed feelings about that. I, I went through a time when when uh, we were very successful in football, mm-hmm. and and our and our our football kids, we would never we'd be playing basketball before we ever got them, right? You know, and uh, and so that was you know made it really difficult, but it it worked out all right. And we started earlier then. We started in first of November back then. Um, but you know, there's part of me that kind of likes the separation where we get a break in between for most kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think two weeks is a little tough, but but here's the truth: uh, everybody has the same, and uh, you know we we start we start playing. I mean, if we started practice earlier, then I I almost think we ought to start games earlier because the fact is it's tough to get your 24 games in. Sometimes you're just playing an awful lot of games in December, and uh, you know, for the, we have six teams in our league, and so yeah. we got 14 non-league games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, it's not a, a hill that I'm going to die on one way or the other. I, there's part of me that would like to get them earlier, and there's part of me that goes, well, the break when I get them, they're ready to go. They're anxious. They're they're not coming right out of something else, and uh, so so I guess yeah. whatever whatever they decide, I'll live with. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about um, – because I think football is, is a lot of times the issue um, as far as, you know, why it maybe got moved back and, and right. that being hard. Um, one of the things that, 
that I've kind of thought about and that people have talked about uh, even with me is is the idea that like volleyball, uh, so like thing on the girls' side is done way earlier than football is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's going to kind of lead into my next question, so it worked out for me. Um, but like, what would you would you what do you think about the gr- maybe girls' basketball season starting a little earlier? but maybe leaving the boys' basketball season to start, you know, later to, to kind of adjust and, and keep in mind that, that football uh, issue. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard anybody propose that. That's an interesting <laughs> thought uh, because, you know, they are pretty much done. Soccer's done earlier also. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I would have to look at a calendar and kind of think about it, but I think that, you know, the other piece, of course, is that changes the tournaments, um, probably, so that the tournaments right. occur at different times. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting to look at. And that's funny because as much as I've been involved with athletic directors and everything, the OSA <clears throat> over the years, uh, I've never heard that proposal. Uh, oh. So that's that's interesting to think about. Well, there you go. Well, it leads me to my next question, uh, which okay. is something that's kind of been brought up, which is separating the girls and boys basketball tournaments. So, for example, um, the 5A, 6A girls would be at one site. The 5A, 6A boys would be at another. Uh, you know, you could probably do the 3A, 4A girls at one side, the 3A, 4A boys at another. Um, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, and I know part of the issue that has come up is the idea that, well, what if both teams are in it? It divides your community, right. um, which I think is a legitimate legitimate concern. But as we just talked about, if the girls started earlier, right. you might not run into that, that issue. Yeah, and we used to do that. You know, we used to mm-hmm. have the girls' tournament the week prior to the boys' tournament. I can remember when we won the year we won it in '94. Our girls played in Salem the week before at the Armory, and then we played at Mac Court. Um, and the only reason I remember that is because I just was looking up some stuff in the yearbook and I ran into it. Uh, but 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 I rem- that used to happen. And I think if if the initial proposal where the girls start earlier and finish earlier, that would certainly make that an option. Um, you, I don't think you can add. Uh, tournaments, but you wouldn't be if you were combining tournaments. You know, uh, if you were combining the five and six A girls into one tournament and the five and six A boys the next week into another tournament, you're not adding uh, <clears throat> tournaments. So I, yeah, I think I, I those kind of things would be interesting to look at and see what the feasibility of them are, and you know what, you know, I think it would, you know, the, I think you you have to probably stay away from the idea that. Glencoe's girls and boys are playing uh, at the same time, and one of them's in Corvallis, and the other one's at the Child Center. You know, right. I, I think that's that's a killer. You know, no, even absolutely. for a large school. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what you know. When I think that has been brought up in the past, that's always been the OSA's argument, and and that makes a lot of sense, right? You don't want to split your community. Uh, because a lot of times the girls want to watch the boys and, and the boys want to watch the girls and oh, they want to be supportive. Um, and, and you don't want to take that high school experience away from them. I don't either. think, I don't think you would, I don't think administrators in schools would be supportive of, of that on the same, right. at the same time. Yeah. I think they, that right. would create a huge nightmare. 
Right. Or you got a Reuters bus that, and you you know you got a Reuters bus that some you you you, you got one that wants to go to one but not can't get anybody to go to the other one. Now you got a big problem. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Whole another can of worms right there. Yeah. Whole another can of worms. But. Absolutely. Well, great, Coach. That's uh, that's all I got for you today. Thank you for, for spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Rothenberger, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.